are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Unseen Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. This is the Arts Report with your host, Ileana. Our beautiful other reporters, Margarita and uh, Lua, will be joining us later on in this program. Uh, but for now, we're going to start things off maybe a little bit earlier than we usually do. We're going to start off with our Jawbone segment with Jake Clark. Um, but after that, we're going to do some reviewing, of course, and we are definitely going to do some shout outs to amazing stuff because guess what, guys? It's almost Christmas, kind of. I mean, some people are celebrating Christmas a little bit earlier, but I mean, I'm not one of those people. I'm like, if we need to be like closer to December than than when people are like, oh, Halloween's done, it's now Christmas. I'm like, no, 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 it's November still. Like, it's still, like, let's keep the fall thing, kind of maybe keep that trickling of, like, spooky stuff still going on. Uh, But let's just have less of it. I don't know. (laughs) But since it's coming to December now, I feel like it's a great time. And, I mean, there's definitely, like, a lot of things. You, You, your family, friends, pets can do around this glorious time of year so um but, but before that we're gonna go to our drop on segment so i'll talk to you guys later after the job on segment ads and psas and then we'll talk to each other once again see you guys in a bit You're listening to The Jawbone on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. You probably already knew that. What you probably didn't know is that we are currently interviewing Derek Hayes, author of Iron Road West, a book on the rail industry in British Columbia, which is quite an illustrious history, uh, which actually just came out last week, courtesy of Harbor Publishing. Derek, how are you? Very good, thanks. Now, there's a lot of interesting things about uh, the history of the railroad in British Columbia. And this is actually kind of a first because the Arts Report hasn't covered a lot of history publications in the past. So what is sort of the uh, the role of the railway in B.C.? How has that – what kind of iconicity does that have? Well, I mean, B.C. basically wouldn't be here without the railway, would it? I mean, it was part of the uh, the, the, the – the deal when BC joined uh, Canada that they would would get a railway that connected it to Canada rather than uh, go 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 it alone and probably connect to the U.S. So BC's part of Canada uh, and and of course BC was uh, owes a lot to its early development to uh, railways. Uh, they were phenomenally important because there basically weren't any roads and uh, the only way to get from A to B. For many people and for goods for many time for a long, long time was was by rail. So it's very significant in the development of of the history. Uh, the the book, uh, it, it, though it covers all 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 the railways and all the details sort of thing, the fundamental un- underlying thing is that generally speaking, people wanted to go a railway and railways wanted to go from east to west uh, to to the rest of Canada. Whereas in B, but in BC the uh, the mountains ranges generally run north to south, so the whole story it comes up time and time again is that uh, the railways are looking for a way to get over, round, or through to overcome the difficulties of the very high grades and the the the, the grades. Uh, 
uh, a recurring uh, theme again in railways, always trying to keep the grades down to something that a that a steam engine could manage with a reasonable sized train. Uh, and later on, of course, with the big uh, trains that we have these days, grades have been improved dramatically again to, to try and accommodate uh, them, because some of the trains are like two kilometers long, and uh, they 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 put on just enough power to to get them through where they need to go, and it's uh, pretty uh, it can get pretty hair raising at times because they loop around, right? There's one mm. point in the book where it says that they're long enough to loop around each other. The track loops and then it goes underneath itself. And well, the... that's the that's the spiral tunnels, right? And in, mm-hmm. in, uh, on the east uh, face of the the Rockies. Uh, that the, one of the grades when when the CP was being built in 1880-85, the grades down the east, eastern the, sorry the western slope of the Rockies were unable to be overcome basically. So they created something called they, they came to be known as the Big Hill, which was basically a a stretch of railway where the, the, there were a lot of helper locomotives put on to push things up, and also going down uh, for what we would call today escape lanes, like you see on a on on, uh, on steep uh, roads uh, sometimes uh, today so that and a complicated system of uh, bells and 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 what have you to to make sure that if the train was running away the train would get switched into an escape lane by a, by a switchman who was was stationed at the at the switch uh, going downhill and that was a that was a 4.4% grade which was was basically double what was considered to be reasonable and the the spiral tunnels, which were fi- finished in 1909, were an attempt to to get rid of that 4.4% grade and convert it, or cut it in half, to a 2.2% grade. And uh, they followed the uh, concept that had been developed in Switzerland uh, for the Gotthard t- tunnels in the 1880s, which basically if was the idea that you just keep looping uh, trains or, or track round in a, in a circle uh, in order to extend the the linear distance uh, so that uh, the more you do that then the less you're going up per unit of, of distance. Like sort of corkscrewing it almost? Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. A lot less, uh, a lot flatter than a corkscrew but uh, the same principle, yeah. That's got to be a pretty intensive effort. Like, there's a lot, definitely a lot of geometry going into that. Yeah, and it's amazing actually how they managed to get all these uh, tunnels and that that they did build so very accurately, given that they didn't have all the modern uh, computerized uh, technology that we had today. We're basically working it out with a pencil and paper. Gotta carry the five. <laughs> That's where you really got to know the value of pi, I suppose, with the circles and so forth. And what would now be the Greater Vancouver area, this was very interesting to me, was connected by uh, streetcars, by these electric rail lines for quite some time until the 1950s. Is that correct? Yeah, well, uh, street, electric, electric uh, trains uh, came out in, in, in force, if you like, in the 1890s. And Vancouver was one of the first uh, cities to, to get uh, electric streetcars because they had to generate the electricity. And there was a building downtown that was a, was a generator. And then the, uh, the, the, the interurbans developed from that. They're basically large streetcars that, uh, that ran down to, to Steveston and to New Westminster. And and finally, in 1910, out to as far as Chilliwack, and the railway line is still still there. It's uh, owned by the Southern Railway of British Columbia now, and is used for for freight. But the the the, the thing isn't electric. 
There is, however, the Fraser Valley Heritage Railway in Chilliwack, which uh, runs half a dozen uh, streetcars and, and, well, interurbans, really, the big ones, on a a fairly uh, long central section of that line as a a heritage railway, as a a, uh, tourist attraction and a a historical attraction. And with that, because some would say that there's been, obviously with the freight industry, there's also trucking now and there's certain forms of transit. What is the position of railways in the current, say, economic social sphere? Because they're still in use. Yeah, well, ra- railways in in the 1960s faced a a problem in that they were they were in North America in that they were losing passenger traffic uh, dramatically uh, to airlines because uh, suddenly we had the jet the jet plane which uh, could get from A to B uh, unbelievably fast compared to to a train. So the 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 uh, the passenger service, which eventually got so bad it was basically taken over by the government in the form of Amtrak in the, in the U.S., and, which runs into Canada, and, uh, and via rail. But uh, the, the railways the, themselves have concentrated on what they can do best and what they can compete at properly, which is, which is bulk freight. Yeah, he- heavy uh, stuff. That, that means uh, containers, it means grain, it means coal, that sort of thing, fertilizers to a certain extent. Uh, and and that's why you get these uh, two-kilometer-long trains uh, hauled by what we call distributed power, which means that you've got uh, locomotives, computer-controlled locomotives in the middle and the back of the train as well as at the front, so that they can... Uh, and that's their, their sort of niche in the market uh, place now, and they, that's where they, they, trucks can't begin to compete because they're just trucking one little load at a time or relatively little load at a time. And now you've seen a lot of trains for the making of this book and there's two pages in this book that are back to back is Canada's Tiniest Train and uh, Luxury Rail Tourism which are both about what uh, passenger trains here and sort of uh, the Canada's Tiniest Train here I just I have the book right here uh, looks like this looks very interesting is the uh, Kawaham shuttle which runs between Lillooet and Darcy on the south end of Anderson Lake via Seton Portage, total distance is 54 kilometers. I just read that out of the book. I have, nowhere that, I have no idea where that is. I'm from Ontario. <laughs> you know. well, south of Lillooet. Mm-hmm. It's from Lillooet south. I mean, Lillooet is, is uh, what, 100, uh, 150 kilometers north of here, I guess, uh, uh, thereabouts. And the arrangement was when the railway was originally the Pacific Great, Great Eastern uh, and then the BC Railway after that, there was a, a deal in place to transport Aboriginal children to to the school in Lillooet. And, yeah. and that basically has evolved into when when uh, CN bought uh, VC Rail in uh, 2004, part of the, the deal was that they would maintain a passenger service. Uh, it's a once-a-day passenger service, except for Fridays, that connected the, the Indian reserves at Seaton Portage and Darcy, which is south of Anderson Lake. There's two lakes there, right? Anderson Lake and Seton Lake, and the railway runs along the edge yeah, of, it looks of the lake picturesque. to get to, to Lillooet. And it's, yeah, it's very very uh, scenic, and they have this these couple of specially built diesel rail cars that uh, that are used for transportation. That's a relative, you know, a very rare example of passenger transport in British Columbia. And it's, it's actually rail. in use. Like it's it's a it's a commuter yeah. thing for the community. The other the other thing, uh, the mm-hmm. West Coast. Uh, yeah, luxury rail tourism. Luxury. Here. That that there was still a market, of course, for people who 
who wanted to see the Rockies and the scenic stuff in in, B, in BC, uh, the Canadian Pacific in particular, but CN also, Canadian National also, had developed quite a considerable uh, tourist traffic by simply advertising things like the spiral tunnels and the, the views of mountains and so on. And and so when that. when that sort of went away or went to uh, to Via Rail, uh, which uh, very often w- went through the Rockies at night so you couldn't even see it, hmm. there's still a market for higher end, shall we say, uh, passenger traffic, and that's what it is. It's very similar in many ways to, to the river cruises in, in Europe which are incredibly ah. popular and, uh, and, and basically utilize passengers on, on, a, on a river or, or canal uh, in the same way as, as the Ro- uh, Rocky Mountaineer it is, uh, is, is utilizing pas- luxury passenger traffic on rails. And it's quite an experience to go through. Like it's a specifically tailored. Yes, kind of it's, it, they they take people like, for example, they take people to Kamloops uh, and they stay in Kamloops overnight in a hotel, and then they continue to to Jasper, I think, or yeah, to Jasper. It's probably good uh, for the towns as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a big deal tourist wise, but it's a, it's definitely a tourist thing. It's aimed mm. it's aimed at uh, people who are traveling for pleasure, not for people who are traveling for business. And uh, there's there's one question I kind of have to wrap this up because there's a very interesting subculture of uh, of rail fans, of train enthusiasts who are very knowledgeable about um, the engineering involved in this. And that's where well, my favorite movie is Train Spotting, which means something else in the movie, but that's also what it's called. Yeah. And I'm wondering sort of what your interaction with this uh, subculture is and if you consider yourself a member of it. Not really, no. I, I'm, I, I come as, uh, at this as, if you like, a, me- a sort of gen- more general historian. I'm more interested in the way railways have, have, have uh, affected development and uh, how, how they've come to be. How I, love, I love to trace uh, old railways, for example, you know, the paths of them uh, when there's a method that lays out how to do that in, in the book. But I'm not really a sort of hardcore uh, train spotter in, in that sense. Uh, no, I hope not. Oh, in that sense, yes. Um, I, although the, I've certainly interviewed many very knowledgeable, like ex-railway executives and people like that, for information on how the railways run, because I'm very interested in how things how things work. The, the Roberts Bank line, for example, which is was built in 1960, you know, is is owned by still owned by BC Rail, even though BC Rail really doesn't exist in any other form. But is shared between all the all the all the railways. And when, like for example, coal gets to to Roberts Bank, it's taken over by specialised staff there and taken into a. Uh, uh, driven round to a rotary coal dumper that that because of special uh, connections on the between the wagons can actually grab the whole wagon and tip it completely upside down into a huge pit below oh. and they can deal with a whole train in a, in a matter of about half half an hour or so or three quarters of an hour so it, it's a, a completely automated uh, system and uh, that that's the sort of thing that I I mean I was very fortunate I was shown around the facility by the resident engineer there and uh, he was very helpful so I I got to find out how a lot of things that I'd often wondered about actually work you know it's a massive industrial effort and sort of one final question this is kind of a thought I just had just sort of a spitballing thing but regarding the electric rail 
is as we enter into an age which is going to be very concerned with sustainability, do you think there's any call for services like uh, the electric rail and tramways? Well, sure. I mean, that's what SkyTrain mm-hmm. is. Uh, it's an electric railway. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, I mean, it's a kind of a shame that uh, that Vancouver got rid of all the uh, uh, trams in in the 50s uh, yeah. and early 60s uh, because they're they they would be easily be usable very for transporting a lot of people see the advantage the advantage of a of an electric uh, tram or an electric uh, streetcar is that you can add cars to it and still only have one driver as the demand increases whereas you can't really do that well, at least be on one level with a bus i mean a bus there are the two sort of articulated buses but yeah, that they're, they're two ones. sections and they remain two sections all the time but with a, a streetcar you can add uh, one two three four or five or even more sometimes it's only limited really by the length of things like platforms where people get on and off <laughs> So it's much more versatile and able to handle peaks and valleys uh, much more uh, efficiently. That'd be an interesting thing to envision, the beeline. Did you get here by bus, by the way, or did you drive? <laughs> I drove, I'm afraid. No, it's, it's like it's interesting to envision the beeline port as like a railway port. Yeah, it is. I mean, kind of the same, same, kind of same concept, yeah. All right. To find out all that and more, there is a wealth of information in this book. Definitely check out Iron Road West, courtesy of Harper Publishing. Derek, it's been terrific to have you in. Thank you. That was our interview with Derek Hayes. Check out Iron Road West, currently on the shelves. Uh, before I leave you, I just want to do a quick uh, review, a lightning review of a play that is currently on and will be on until December 1st, and that is Pieces of Eight by Nathan Narusis. Uh We actually covered Mr. Narusis' first play, Cashless, last year. It was uh, on at the Havana. It was a drama uh, about currency, among other things. Uh, we had some reservations about it, but it was an interesting play speaking to a very specific style. And this is an interesting follow-up to that because in watching this, I've been able to witness the evolution of a playwright and producer as Pieces of Eight is a comedy with characters that seem almost like remixes of the piece, of the cashless characters. For example, Richard uh, Sanborn becomes Romulus Sandberg. His friend Dax becomes Dex. Both are sort of have this interplay of fiscally minded visionary versus happy-go-lucky hedonist, which is interesting because the fellow playing Romulus in this play played Dax in Cashless. That is Daniel Frost. He's not the only returning cast member either. You have Jamie Ives playing the mayor of Vancouver. You get to see him tap dance in this, which is quite delightful. Uh, This play is short, 75 minutes long, and concerns a group of eight Vancouverites who chip in to buy a house in Kitsilano in order to, you know, own their own home. Uh, It does feature some of the characteristics of Cashless, some stylistic features of uh, which could be identifiable as Mr. Narusis's personal style, which is to say technical uh, fiscal dialogue, a definite step into speculative fiction with an almost conspiratorial slant. This is, however, uh, significantly more nuanced about that and also more comedic about that, especially with the characterization. Romulus is portrayed as being the same variety of very, very forward-thinking, very capable, but also has these social blinders on, and that is played for comedy quite a few times throughout. I, uh, I, I would say that especially if you've seen Cashless or if you were interested in our review of it, I would highly recommend this 
because you see the emergence and evolution of a style in this from Mr. Narusis. And I think that is very interesting because this sort of style, which is largely accounted for by Mr. Narusis producing these plays through his own company, like is very much an independent theater producer. For better or for worse, it is very much his own project. And I hope to see more of them based on this. If you haven't seen Cashless or you haven't heard our review, uh, this play would be worth seeing if you're interested in this sort of technical uh, look at some fiscal issues. But it does approach uh, a topic that is slightly more relatable than that of cashless, which is to say it deals with Vancouver real estate, which is a topic that is, uh, uh, shall we say, rather perennial or has been since I've come to this city. The way it approaches that is certainly worth noting because it is at least a, a quite a significant look at at least one side of the discourse. And as a work of speculative fiction, and especially as a comedy, it does work in that respect. It is in many ways a very a Vancouver story the same way, uh, for example, That Burning Feeling, another thing uh, by Jason James, another thing which dealt significantly with real estate is, and I would recommend it based on that. It's certainly an interesting look. The play is, like I said, it's it's not long. It is effectively a one act at 75 minutes. And if you're interested in seeing it, I, I, I would recommend it. It's on Studio 16 until December 1st. I'll be on the live show next week. Uh, with review of the Pacific Theater's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and a few other segments for you. This has been fun. Uh, my name's Jake Clark. This has been The Jawbone, and uh, over to Who Just Played This. Ever heard of Pitch Perfect? UBC Acapella can sing on harmony in cue. Made up of 100 members across four choirs, the student-led club regularly performs on and off campus. Check out UBC Acapella on Facebook for more information regarding their Aka Amazing end-of-term concerts. Are you considering a master's degree? Launch your career with a master's in digital media. It's offered by UBC, SFU, Emily Carr, and BCIT. And you get to work with the industry to learn essential collaboration, leadership, and teamwork skills while building digital media products. Learn more about this at an online webinar on December 6th. For more information, visit the cdm.ca. That is thecdm.ca. that you guys listened to like an, like part of a song twice I thought it was an ad but like that's not how it was like starting for some reason so I just like threw in a different ad <laughs> um but now just like you know it's still me but we have our correspondents back yay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> they're here they're having fun everyone's having fun yeah. um and now we're here, and we're going to do some reviews. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. Do you, do you Margar- guys want to? Margarita should start, because she went to this really cool thing that I wish I could have gone to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like a big mistake that I uh, gained on. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds bad, but it was great. So I went to Chorodesh. Uh, it was a solo performance from the um, Akram Khan Dance Company. I was uh, performing at SFU Gold Corp. And I'm just going to start and end, of course, by saying that it was uh, really, really good. The dancing was amazing. And I'm going to dive into a little bit more detail. Um, so the performance is an hour long. It was adapted from a longer performance that was um, performed only by Akram Khan. Um, and it is loosely based on his autobiography. So it incorporates scenes uh, of him talking with his father, uh, reminiscing upon his childhood memories, um, and a kind of um, cross-medium mm-hmm. uh, kind of performance. So it incorporates... I don't know if it's called double screen, uh, double screen projection, where you have like the um, like it looks three D ish. I mean, when the when the performer is kind of inside a scenery, but it's let's say there is a tree for simplicity. There is a tree projected in front of him, and like a bridge projected behind him. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's one screen. Anyways, he was like through 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 projecting on a screen. He was embedded in some kind of magical uh, scenery that was also incorporated in his mom telling him a story that is um, a legend from his uh, home culture, Bangladesh. Also incorporating uh, through dance scenes from his childhood home, uh, from his childhood um, visits to home to Bangladesh when he was going with his father, kind of um, incorporated with sound. So the stage is empty. But the sound and his dancing and like really the projections, right? So like the projections fill up the space. The projection fills with space, and I was actually going already talking about something else, but I'm gonna stick <laughs> with the projections for now. So the projections, uh, as I said, they were talking about a legend, and um, with the sound of his mother telling him the story and very dramatic music, it was like um, mm, kind of you were kind of transcending into that space, like you said. The projections mm-hmm. fill up the space together with the music and uh, the animation that's so cool i, I yeah. really like i really like it when uh like plays or like dancers or anything like that don't have like actual physical objects but instead just kind of use other means of feeling space that's not yeah. like a actual object and that's just like a really cool thing that and it's do. like definitely i love that too and it was a solo so it was like a single dancer right throughout the same dancer Definitely, yes. It was the same guy. And so I'm curious because you said he had like moments of conversation with his dad. Did he like incorporate his dad or was his dad just like a voice or something like that? So most of the time it was a voiceover. And then some of the time the voiceover was also accompanied regards to representing his father with a little drawing that he made. Maybe you've seen it on the trailer. A drawing that he made on his like shaved uh, head. Oh. So he was skewing his head to the front kind of like shoulder shoulders oh, hunched wow. up and it was an entirely an entire transformation and they had a name for this that's oh yeah we actually for posted the the character exactly on our instagram it's the second picture if you swipe i saw and that. it's i wasn't really sure what it was when we posted it because i i have obviously haven't watched the show but now that you say it like that makes perfect sense like that's so that's cool, so cool. <laughs> and they call it the cook and that is one of the um, one of like the iconic uh, mediums that was used, uh, well, expression mediums that were used in the original play that was just called Desh. So they refer to it as Solo Desh. 
So the performer was also talking about how everybody was expecting to see that, and he had to perform it as good as Akram, I guess, as well as Akram. Oh, wow, that's mm. a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one, uh, like, a unique expressive tool that was used. Of course, the screen projection was another one. There was another use of, like, there was um, a chair that was part of the story. Like, he had to sit on the chair, and his dad was like, why do you keep fidgeting around? You won't sit on the chair for one second. And it's like a whole scene where he acts, like, dances around the chair, never sitting down on it. And then as soon as his mom comes in, like, how can I read it? How can I tell you a story if you won't sit on the chair? And the second she says story, <laughs> he sits on the chair. <laughs> so later on in the play, he brings in, uh, a, like, a huge chair comes in, which kind of is, like, kind of reminds me of dreams, where, like, an element that you think about a lot comes, kind of comes in, like, blown up. Mm-hmm. Like, a huge chair comes in, exactly the same shape, rolls in, and then he... Uh, closes it off with like uh, fabrics and there it becomes a light box and then it kind of does like a little shade play on the light box that is the chair inside the chair do you get what i mean oh my god this is like very intricate <laughs> it was very very cool and going back to what you guys were saying about how it is a solo performance it is really amazing how it is really amazing how a solo dancer with actually uh a blank a blank stage was able to fill out the whole screen both visually and both conceptually because he kept he kept our attention it was never boring and i can't imagine how tiring it must be because like even performances where there are like multiple dancers they are extremely tiring and that's part of the reason you need to switch because it's just very draining and like to make an entire i'm guessing it's like an hour and a half an hour it is an hour like entire show just by yourself and you can't leave the stage because if you leave the stage there's nothing Nothing on the stage you know (laughs) it's like actually you can see like he's wearing like a simple gray shirt and at the beginning like after the beginning you see like a small patch of darker (laughs) like I mean, sweat. <laughs> sweat on his back and by the end of the show like it's all drained like he's wow. he's sweating the wow. hell out. and in this regard the performer said that that is that is his last performance because he's retiring oh man, Whoa, man. but he doesn't look older than 30 oh yeah so but that's when dancers usually retire really what do they do for the rest of their lives they teach mostly but okay. they leave the stage I see. Because it takes such a toll on you physically. It's like sports. Like, you know how, like... That's what I thought. Yeah, the same thing as sports. Like, you get to to the height at, like, around your 20s. And then you get burned out in, like, five years. Yeah, and then after 25, it kind of just, like, goes downhill. It's really, really hard to make it in the dance world, which is why you see, like, so many young, really, really young dancers, like, 12 or, like, even 6, and you see these girls, and you're like, oh, my God, they're so good. And, yeah, they're going to be, like, great ballerinas and stuff. But the other thing that happens with this industry is that once you peak at such a young age, there's not really room for growth. And without growth, like a lot of these people that were really good when they were young, they kind of like drop off or like they stop it because you peaked already at so young. That's kind of sad. Yeah. So, yeah, it it happens. But just like with sports, you know, it's uh, everything that demands a lot of the body you end up retiring a lot earlier than what is considering consider retirement age. It doesn't mean you're going to stop completely. It just means you're out of the line. Yeah, yeah. I want to touch back to uh, something that I started talking about before about the show, uh, the Bangladesh scene. 
where he it's kind of uh, uh, at the beginning of the show where he's taken aback to his memories of visiting Bangladesh with his father as a child and again filling out the scene and filling out the space uh, both the sound uh, scape and the visual sense of the of the stage with just the voice offer over of like the mayhem and the sounds of the street and him just kind of um, suggesting with his body with his dancing that he's in a crowded area that he's pushed by people pushed by uh, cars or trains or whatever is going on there and I just want to say the dancing in this um, show I think it is uh, representative of the Akram Khan style not that I'm familiar with it but it's like super expressive and very very engaging and leaving all the um, you know fireworks aside and all the unique uh, presentation skills the dancing was just unbelievable really 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 inter- uh, interesting to watch and engaging and beautiful yeah I really enjoyed it thanks yeah. a lot for yeah. <laughs> so is it continue is it a continuing playing or was that like the last show I, I think, think it's continuing yeah. with but with a different dancer Okay. I I think it was the last show in Vancouver for this season. It might come back. It might not come back later. But I think that one, like, the last weekend was the last show for the season. Yeah. I also wanted to say that, uh, well, I mentioned that this show was adapted from a longer solo. I also wanted to say that the adaptation was first to make it shorter, but mainly to make it uh, accessible for uh, families and children. And that's also touching upon how engaging it is and how special it is and they were uh, afterwards they stayed for the discussion and they were like if you know of any young people that want to be, be like get exposed to the performance and in, in art world bring them here and that's actually really cool because it's not like it's not it's very engaging it's very interesting it's changing it tell the story it's not too abstract I also think he went on the day I think it was the only day in the performance schedule that had ASL translation Yes, there was a translation. Which I thought was really cool of them that to add really cool. a day just for that. You know, like it's yeah, a specific performance for. Like yeah, which was really cool. And I think there was also another performance that was in French. Um, yes, there, it I was think, the day later, okay. I think, or, the, or, the, or that evening. I wanted to say, touch upon that, that at the end of the, well, during the discussion, the last remark was from a guy who was deaf. He was translated by the ASL oh, translator cool. saying that he didn't even need that because it was so expressive and interesting that he didn't even need the translation. Oh, that's beautiful. So that like, was really cool. And get that feedback as well, like to know that although, yes, this performance is a lot based on like the sound of someone speaking because there's like very little music, right? It's just like... There is a lot of music, actually. But, uh, but I mean, like the voiceovers. There's is a like, lot of voiceover, yes. Yeah, like it's such a major part of the performance for you to understand the story and to someone that can't um yes access that saying like i didn't even need that translation necessarily because it's just so beautiful and so expressive on its own as i think that's part of the beauty of dance that you don't really need much of an explanation as long as you can feel it like and be there in that moment just arts and also the paradoxical part about that is that we couldn't have heard his input if it wasn't for the presence of the translator there yeah which Mm. was cool that's Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. Yeah. Amazing I, I wish I could have been there and seen it. Your loss is someone's gain. Yeah, I know. But I went to Victoria, which was really awesome. And in Victoria, I had a chance to go to the UVic um, undergrad and graduate student um like we have here at UBC, where uh, the students can present, like a gallery for student work. And uh, we had a chance. My mom and I, she's here this week. I've been talking <laughs> about it <laughs> for weeks. But yeah, she's finally here. But anyway, um, to uh, see this perfor- this gallery show, which was actually really cool. And it was about indigenous law. It's called Testify. And it's going on until the end of December. Um, if anyone has a chance to go stop by is in Victoria and has that chance. Yeah, indigenous law. Like um and they like all the pieces kind of like they were exploring the conflict between the Western law versus the indigenous law and how the Western law Western law tried to repress the indigenous culture and all of that and they were like kind of bringing it out there. And a lot of the pieces, it's a small gallery, but a lot of the pieces were actually pretty interactive, which I thought was really cool. That is cool. I love interactive pieces. Yeah, like the initial piece. Yeah, I mean, I love those. Like (laughs) anything that I can like actually feel that I'm like helping with the art world. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm part of something. (laughs) Like even the first piece in the gallery um, is this huge mural. And um, of all these little cutouts of newspaper clippings and documents and pictures um through like from about the history in general of indigenous law and western law and their that conflict and um they had little cuts out cutouts on the side and glue and they were like add to the mural in whichever way you want so like you could take any one any of the little cutouts um i chose a document that had that was describing um how indigenous customs were illegal um and my mom chose a different document saying um it was a newspaper clipping describing um potlatch and how that was considered a misdemeanor what's potlatch potlatch uh, do you know like a potluck like yes. when people each one well it's an it's originally indigenous tradition huh. called pot, potlatch and um they did it to for like not waste food um, like i'm not an indigenous expert or anything this is like from what i've heard from my indigenous friends and like what i read in the gallery if i get something wrong i apologize but like tell us this is uh, the the, what i know and what i absorbed but basically it's like the same idea um that you're like each one's bringing a little bit of food and no one's hungry and no one's like everything is shared among the entire culture like the entire society um but for some reason um the colonizers made it illegal and called it a misdemeanor because they didn't want that sharing to happen yeah so i guess we're going to talk about more a little bit more about that after (laughs) after our ads and psas it's very interesting though um so yeah we'll be back we'll and we'll do some things that we're excited for for christmas see you in a bit Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. 
For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theater, visit their website at www.riotheater.ca. Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily, at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take-home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. So <laughs> let's just keep talking <laughs> yeah, about this museum in Victoria. Yeah. So about that uh, piece. Um, yeah. So like, yeah. So potlatch is that's where it comes from, and it's funny because nowadays you have potlucks anytime, and basically the reason why they try to make it illegal is to like diminish the sense of community inside indigenous societies. And I mean. It's just seeing that, like that piece, piece specifically, it was just like slightly disturbing because you are aware of how many laws were implanted to like make that culture basically disappear. But once you see it all, because that was like an entire wall, right? Like an entire wall of a gallery just covered in that. And you stop to actually try to read every single thing. Um, and you realize. Like paper clippings? Or yeah, because so they made it like. Oh, wow in mylar paper so it's like slightly transparent so even if you like layer them on top of it each other you could still like kind of see oh, the wow. layers on top on the bottom oh, wow. and they also have like pictures of um missing person indigenous missing persons and um because canada if you don't know that canada does have this like gapping hole of missing indigenous women um, that That's police so just doesn't know what happened to them. There's actually a really incredible website just dedicated to that. I can't remember right now, but I will find out and I'll get to you back to you guys. But yeah, and then a few yeah, another piece that really called my attention was um, it was a three screen video. Um, it looped in different and it kind of like followed the life of a child, like an indigenous child within a community. And it just and it was like pl not playing off, but like entering into direct conflict with the idea of the residential schools and how residential schools thought that the, the indigenous culture was not valid enough to be taught to children and that kind of stuff. And it was just like these beautiful imageries of just children being children, you know. And it just makes you think about what was done and why it was done and the way it was done. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. If you do have a chance, it's 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 a great exhibition to like really think about the legacy that has been left behind and how to undo it from now on. Did you say that was at UVic? Yeah. It, it's not at UVic, but it's like in the in downtown Victoria. So it's like it's pretty accessible. It's on um Ye Yale Street. Oh, wow. Man, that's a hard thing to segue into, like, <laughs> something else about the yeah. Christmas. It's like, Christmas! 
terrible, <laughs> terrible segue. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's it, it sounds like a really interesting museum and like, but it's like it's it's really hard issues. Yeah. Um, and then but I, 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 I I like that we we talk we or at least like the art world and everything is trying to talk more about and ex- expose people more to it. Yep. Um, that's important. But Christmas but <laughs> is coming Christmas. up, and we actually got to talk about since, all the cool since, stuff that's since, also coming up. Yeah, <laughs> Christmas is about community. Yeah, um, this can also be something that you can do with your family members and everything like that. Uh, Lua, I think, went to it as well. She, oh yeah, we're going to be talking about <laughs> the Christmas market. Oh yeah, it's uh by Canada Place. Well, a little bit further down but yeah, yeah. it's a yeah it's like connected it's in the convention center downtown um which is a really cool building on just on but it's own. actually outside it's like oh yeah they created this space so you know where cactus club is on on the right at the yeah, water yeah. edge like at the waterfront yep. yeah so it's right beside it and they basically like literally walk in and you feel like oh suddenly i'm like in this little german village you yeah, know? yeah like- i went there last year so much fun i bought so much uh cheese <laughs> that was like like nothing i like i went through i went around everywhere else i was like i'm not tempted i saw like the the, the wine i saw the alcohol I was, like not tempted i saw like the really cool like uh like pottery gifts and like yeah. stuffed bears oh and the wood stuff and the wood yeah. uh carvings i saw all that and then i got to like the cheese section <laughs> the cheese the marketplace and i was like i have to buy at least three cheeses which were so good <laughs> so <laughs> worth it it was worth it it was definitely worth it yeah uh i then bought like a huge thing of bread so i could <laughs> cheese and bread were like the only things i bought at the christmas market and i was like this is good this is you know it's important yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but do you right, have to pay to get into the christmas market you yeah do. it's ten dollars you buy it beforehand twelve dollars you buy it online but the good thing is that you can buy it um beforehand and if you get there you can exchange it for a season pass for just one extra dollar okay so which means that you don't have to pay entrance ever again because you get a season pass right for just one extra dollar so that's pretty cool nice it's just kind of ridiculous that you have to pay money to buy stuff yeah i know but like they're doing something really cool actually this uh uh right now um they're raising uh they're raising money for a children's wish weeks events uh, so they're helping raise money for a nine-year-old named Maddie, whose ch- children wish is to go to Disney World. Aww. So they're doing, getting like donations are earned from doing those events, uh, and some of the events are uh, Tuesday, December fourth is foodie tuesday which is oh my great God. because it basically means that everything all the food is cheaper so you can try yeah. more stuff a chance to try <laughs> more or less featuring bits and beverages from select vendors uh that are four dollars yeah um, oh wow i know it sounds really great and super awesome but i have a final during that time and i'm <laughs> very sad i'm like that's me i but was just talking about food <laughs> directly after your final Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because it go it open it's open until um nine, so. Yeah, and then like right after that, they're doing a deluxe date night. Oh yeah, the date night is really cool because uh you get uh the entrance for half a price, 
So it's like instead of being ten dollars, it's five dollars each person. Cause that's cool. Yeah, so and as well as some deals for duos, including carousel rides, pretzels, ciders, and other paired uh, discounts at select vendors. And you can find that on their website, um, which is like VancouverChristmasMarket.com. Activity date night. That sounds really great, actually, and I, I want someone to take me there. <laughs> I'll take you. I mean, oh. I have a season pass, but I'll take you. <laughs> also, um, the one thing that we tried that was really, really good, they had this mushroom um, soup, like cream of mushroom. Ooh. Nice. It was with like 15 different types of wild mushrooms. So I was like, that's yes. a lot. But like that, it was just so good oh like we had already eaten before we went there but when i only got there it's like tried a little bit it's like i need more <laughs> it was just really good this needs more um they're also friday december 7th they have their free carousel rides uh which are they're all by donations to the children's wish foundation so although they're free please like donate yeah <laughs> it's, it's helping a good cause guys yeah it's yeah. definitely helping a good cause um they also on Friday as well, they're also having, um, it's a huge call out for Canucks fans, <laughs> um, in support of the child, uh, Children's Wish Weeks at, at the Vancouver Christmas Market from November 23rd to December 7th, Canucks defense man Eric uh, Goods Brandsman. Oh man, I'm so bad. I like don't know anything about sports, but if you're a huge sports fan, thanks for listening. I, <laughs> I mean, the sports shows was right before us. So That's maybe. true. He'll, but he'll be on site. Cool. He'll be on site and to help raise uh, the money to make uh, the children's Christmas wish come true. Um, and they'll so visitors who provide a donation to the Children's Wish Foundation will have the chance to go head to head with Eric as they try to score against him. Oh man, so, that's cool. That sounds fun. I I think I would only like be like, okay, I'll do this, but like I'll just go up to him and like take pictures with him. <laughs> I'm like, this is all I'm doing. I'm not a sports person at I all. I just want a picture with you. I'm sorry. I don't want to like beat you at all. It's like you're good. <laughs> you're good. I'm not. I cannot I cannot do any type of uh, ice skating I follow in my butt <laughs> instantly I'm from a warm place yeah same <laughs> but I'm actually I, I really like ice skating <laughs> but that's yeah yeah I go to the Thunderbird UV uh, you know stadium. what actually like there's a point in me a lot um mulled wine I had never mulled wine mulled mulled wine mulled mulled is something else. I don't no, know no mulled no, no. mulled yeah there we go I can't I don't yeah whatever I got it I hated it I hated I was so disappointed I was like oh this wine is gonna be so nice and like warm it's gonna warm me up and I drank it and I was like no <laughs> it's I it's it. basically like sangria but without the fruit no it's not it has like cognac or something like that oh. and it has clove and i hate clove with oh. all my heart that's I a like problem clove, yeah i hate clove like everything i i clove is kind me, of christmasy isn't it? yeah yeah it is yeah what <laughs> me and my um friends are doing for christmas on the 10th we're going i'm going over to her place and watching hallmark movies oh nice christmas <laughs> hallmark movies that's you know. so sweet <laughs> you know those like really super <laughs> white <laughs> women fantasy <laughs> things where it's like she just wants to be a baker but she can't because of 
life. But this man comes into her life that she didn't know she loved before. Truly the heartbreaking. And, like, every, like, bad thing is because they don't talk to one another, which is, like, why are you together? <laughs> Do not talk to one another it's at like, all. The basis of every relationship is communication. <laughs> but you're, like, everything ends well, so it's, like, whatever. But we're having mules <laughs> wine with it as well. And I'm so excited. My friend um, makes it all, uh, herself. It is so good. <laughs> you should get a rectifying experience, though. Yeah, I think I need yeah. someone I else to the, make me. Yeah, if maybe taking out, like, the... Because she puts in, like, cinnamon and, like, other Cinnamon's stuff. Good. Yeah, and, like, uh, the peels of oranges in it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, the people that were there were like, this is really good. And I tried it. I was just so disappointed. <laughs> I hate <laughs> that. But, like, everybody likes it and you're the only one. Okay. But, what am I the, missing? But the um, chimney cake? No, it's not that. What? The, it's like a little pastry, like a German log? pastry that is like round. Log? And it's, is it log? Is it like a Yule log? No, no, no. It's like a tiny little pastry. It kind of looks like a pretzel, but it's like it's hollow on the inside. So you can like put Nutella inside. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that already. one was really good. Interesting. I can't oh, interesting. A funnel cake. Funnel, it's funnel, funnel cake. cake. Or funnel, I was like, funnel pastry. I don't know. Something I, like I'm that. not familiar with that. It's really good. Look good. it up. Everyone, everyone just like look up pastry. <laughs> I'm looking at pastries. Yeah, so that's happening. It's going to be really fun and just like funnel a cakes lot. for everybody. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. They're showing us a picture right now. That is a huge awesome. thing. Oh. It looks like a lot of fun. Go, go find your friend. If you don't have a significant other and be like, this is my significant other. So, yeah. like, we can do the couple The funnel thing. cake. Yeah. The funnel cake is my significant other. Right? <laughs> yes, like... Don't come in between our love. It's a thing, guys. But then you have to pay for the funnel cake. But as soon as we started talking about it and you, like, were trying to describe it, I'm like, but doesn't your mom have a picture? And yeah. surely enough, she does. Yes. My mom always has pictures of things. Of everything, more specifically. She literally takes pictures every five minutes, like 10 pictures per. That's true. That's, yeah, like That's truly the mom experience. It is. Plus, my mom's a photographer, so like it, it's even heightened. Oh, like, man. Like oh, we man. take we have we both have cameras and we'll take both of them to places. So it's like it takes a while to go like even through like like if a museum or a gallery or something is like a room. It takes us like 40 minutes just to get through it. Don't call it your mom like this. That sounds like fun. It is. It's great. We always it's, have like the best pictures, but that, yeah. I'm kind of jealous of that. <laughs> have to admit, jealous. And like, I always use like every time she's like, we visit or we do something, I always have her take like a bunch of pictures of me. So like, I have. I have <laughs> she's your I Instagram. Have, yeah, yeah. So I have the pictures. Like, I take all of them now. So like, throughout the year, I'll post them. <laughs> That is so smart. smart. Love so I don't have to I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do that sometime. Um, so final weeks, as you probably could tell, is coming up. So we may have some uh, times we might not be on air, or some of us won't be here to do our lovely uh, talking points. But I mean, I hope you guys. We'll try our best. Who's going? Yeah. I'm here. Most I mean, of the time. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going home. You're going home again? You were just home. I'm jealous. But she was home for a wedding. which was I was home for... I like Does that not count? I spent well. <laughs> I spent more time on Traveling. the plane yeah. than I did at home. That sucks. So I think I deserve going back home. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you deserve do. it. Also, I don't want to stay here when it gets super cold because I'm that very, is a very, valid very point. susceptible <laughs> to it. Uh, so I'm going back home. But uh, yeah. I mean, what are you talking I'm, about? Is it going to get colder? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's going to get way cooler. Get ready. Get ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) You just like totally crossed your I don't like the sound of them apples. (laughs) No one does. Um, But for anyone listening now, and if we don't say it before, I'm sure I'm going to say a bunch because Christmas. I hope you guys have a happy holidays and just a really good Christmas or yeah. holiday and good luck on your finals yeah. good luck on your finals and this is good not luck. a goodbye we'll be here next week so yeah make sure to tune in and don't and forget us <laughs> <laughs> don't forget us we're still here we're we still love here. you <laughs> okay so hopefully we'll see you guys next Wednesday um if not then yeah. next I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll, we'll see. be here we'll, we'll be, be we'll here see. for sure we'll see what happens <laughs> like, see you guys later Happy holidays. Happy holidays.